Thank you. Right. Are you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real-life sequel? Stat 2? Who'd want to do that? Sequels suck. No. Two in the box! Ready to go! We be fast and they be slow! Wow! A second Super Saiyan? Second in order, perhaps, but by no means in stature. Your fight is with me now. And when I kill you, I will have killed the last Jedi. Man, I can't fucking believe this. Another basement, another elevator. How could the same shit happen to the same guy twice? Oh, please, please. By definition alone, they're inferior films. Well, hello, everyone. This is your host, Chris, here at Inside the Sequel. This is the podcast show where we talk about uh, sequel movies that don't get enough love or attention that they probably truly deserve. And um, I'm really proud of that because today we're having, I believe, our first third installment sequel today, which I'm very excited for because it's one of my favorite film franchises. And it definitely think fits the mold of movie does not does not get enough love and attention that it rightfully deserves. And um, it is uh, Christmas with your uh, Godfather, is which I like to think of it, because <laughs> we are talking about Francis Ford Coppola's 1990 uh, trilogy finale, Godfather Part 3. Two epics. It's not personal. It's strictly business. Two classics. No! No! Two films that set new standards for motion picture excellence. Don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. 21 Academy nominations and nine awards, including two for Best Picture. I know it was you, Fredo. The Godfather. And now, Paramount Pictures presents the continuation of Francis Ford Coppola and Mario Puzo's legendary saga. businesses having to do with gambling. We have no interests or investments in anything illegitimate. Don Corleone. The Corleone family, partners with the Pope. They may cry blasphemy. This is business. I know you're into banks on Wall Street, but everyone knows you're the final word. You're like the Supreme Court. All I want to do is protect you from these guys, and your lawyers can't do that. If I said we make them dead, you give me the order, I'll take care of it. I command this family, right or wrong. 
Michael, now that you're so respectable, I think you're more dangerous than you ever were. Our true enemy has not yet shown his face. If every drug pusher in this room were to drop dead, I would be the only one alive. Well, you talking for me, he can live or he can die, you understand? Will you shut up? Will you shut up? You're the only one left in this family with my father's strength. I'm a Corleone. You can save the Corleone family. I'll help you. The ultimate story of family. Come at me as you will. And loyalty. Give up my daughter. Power. And violence. Just when I thought I was out. The Godfather, Part 3. When they come, they'll come at what you love. And for someone that I needed someone to tackle this with me, and she wanted to do it so bad, and I was so excited there's somebody I that I know that has seen, first of all, Godfather 3, and like also wants to talk about it. So I was very excited. Uh, and... I was a guest on her awesome new podcast show called Schlock and All, and that is Lindsay. Lindsay, why don't you uh, say hi and talk about this podcast uh, that you were so nice to let me be a part of? <laughs> hey, Chris, uh, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I started a uh, podcast, another movie podcast uh, called Schlock and All, which we um, it's kind of like a double feature podcast um that i kind of started without actually thinking of what would actually go into actually doing a podcast um but i'm really enjoying it because i get to talk to people like chris we um we talked about a double feature of fantastic planet and the fifth element um so yeah it's meant to be sort of a two very kind of different movies that are doing the same thing um like fantastic planet and uh uh fifth element because they are both very french infused sci-fi uh, movies but no it was um I was so happy to be able to come on inside the sequel because I really do enjoy the show and and yeah no I just giant about all movies um that uh some people have uh that maybe not have even heard of or wouldn't never think in a certain context because they only think of it in as one way or another um when there's usually more happening under the surface kind of thing so yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, and uh, for those listening, I really recommend that episode. Uh, it was just a lot of fun. It was just like, it was um, it wasn't having to talk about sequels, so it was a nice little break from that, and uh, just talk about movies that I really um, are interested and passionate about. And I think Lindsay's podcast uh, is a great avenue for that. So I think that's a really good way um, to find out more about new movies that aren't just sequels. Um, but Lindsay, so this is your first time on this show and I'm very excited about it. W what about your history with sequel movies? Like, do you enjoy watching them or are you like, eh, like they're kind of like guilty pleasures? Like where, where's your allegiance there? No, I, I love sequels. I grew up on sequels. Like I have a very weird memory of whenever a movie, uh, where I grew up, um, sequels were the ones always on TV. There were never, it never was the original. So it was always um, Return of the Jedi that played or it was <laughs> Ghostbusters 2 or I, for some reason, watched both the sequel to uh, Austin Powers and Wayne's World like a thousand times um, more than the original. So 
I think I was actually brought up on sequels more than I was the original. So sequels were um, probably cheaper to put on television. Um, and when we get into The Godfather, I watched them completely in reverse. So, <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so um, I think sequels were just a big part of my childhood. So I th- they've never really been an issue for me. I might have gone through a snob period when I was in my early 20s, like most people. Um, I'm still in that phase. I'm, I'm, I'm right before I'm 25. I feel like I'm in that young, yes. like Matt Bledsoe, you and like so many other people like, oh, talk about that snobby time. I'm like, I think they mean like at 25 and below, that's what they talk about. So I'm like, yeah, that's, that's me. That's, that's me. when you really get in the zone with movies and you discover all these amazing new directors you would never have tried before. And they're like, you're Ingman Bergman's, yeah, more experimental, you're foreign. And that's when you're getting all of that. And that is, it's an amazing time and you'll always love them. And then when you get older, you're like, you know what? I'm going to go back and watch uh, Robocop 2 or Ghostbusters 2 because that's the one I remember liking secretly, even though I know I'm meant to like the first one. <laughs> yes, yes. That's how sequels sneak up on you. They like yes. they like get embedded in you and then they mm-hmm. like slowly grow and grow until like you're like, oh, man, it, it's got me. <laughs> it has. Yeah. You think, oh, no, of course, the original's better. And then you find yourself going back to the sequel more often because that's the one you're more comfortable with. So I think, yeah, for me, it's definitely just was just part of growing up. <laughs> With uh, with sequels and growing up, do you remember like one of the first sequel movies you saw, or at least you understood was a sequel? Um, I th- I want to say Ghostbusters two, but actually no, wait, there was also a Care Bears mo- second Care Bears movie. I'm pretty sure <laughs> I was excited about when I was like six, five or six. Um, they were like they're doing one Care Bears movies and two. There's one more than one. Um, I <laughs> remember with Care Bears. With Care Bears, yeah. I only remember the one where, like, the magician's, like, apprentice has, like, a book mask and he just wants to do evil. That's the only Care Bear movie I remember. That's the one I remember. I think that's the sequel. <laughs> I think. You see, I, there you go. This is why yeah. we are who we are. <laughs> we are who we are. We always remember that sequel. I remember being really excited to see um, Ghostbusters 2 because I was too young mm-hmm. to see it in the cinema. So by the time I was eight, I was all about it. Same with Back to the Future 3 and... Um, was there another one? Oh, a Batman Returns. I was all over just because I <laughs> first Batman so much, and then fell in love with the sequel Batman. So no, as I you're illustrating that, yeah, no sequels were such a part of my childhood that they were almost normal. That's <laughs> it was awesome. just like, oh, that's just another movie that I watch because it's on TV constantly, or I rent it a lot, that kind of thing. Yeah, do you remember t- movies like on TV? <laughs> I feel like with people like streaming now, and I, nobody watches. I feel like local or cable TV as much. It's like. Sometimes if I've had a, like at an older relative's house and I see like a movie on TV, I will sit and watch it because it's like a rare thing now. It really is. I remember a couple, uh, couple of years ago we were on holiday and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was on just on TV randomly. We were traveling around back home in, in Zed and I was like, I know exactly what I'm doing for the next three hours. Even with ads, it's nearly I think four. Um, in New Zealand where I grew up, I say this constantly, um, cable wasn't really a thing until I want to say like the early nineties. So in the eighties, it was just TV. So that's kind of how a lot of people um, watched uh, movies was the reruns. And so I think that's kind of why I have maybe a special affinity with sequels more than um, other people just, or younger people. Cause um, you didn't get a choice about what you watched. You had a couple of channels and that was it. So true. I, I, gosh, I know it's not even part of it, but just like the accidentally, Mm. you know, like, Goodfellas, like, oh, I watched it with my dad, but I remember watching a few scenes from Goodfellas on TV before they let me actually watch the movie. I remember 
um, watching Candyman on TV. Um, that was like a crazy night. Um, <laughs> I think I even saw, I'm trying to think, uh, there was one more I know I watched. Oh, I think it was a Spike Lee film on TV I mm. watched. There was like a, mm. it was weird in my local TV stations. We had like a network called Bounce TV and they played like a lot of African American films. Oh, nice. They, yeah, it was really cool. And that's like I, where I watched a lot of Spike Lee growing up mm. and, uh, I watched Candyman on there, like at a late mm. night showing. I think mm. that for some reason, oh, they showed King of New York. Um, oh wow! Because <laughs> I think it's because Lawrence Fishburne was in it. Yes. Um, and I remember sticking around for it, and I was like, oh, it was pretty good. And then I borrowed mm. the movie, and it was like, yeah, it's so pretty good. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, TV movies is like a fascinating thing that mm. uh, I remember growing up doing. <laughs> so we're gonna be talking about. Um, the godfather and stuff so do you remember when you you said it was like you started in reverse i'm really fascinated to hear about that uh yeah i saw godfather 3 on tv um it was playing one <laughs> night i can't remember if it was a sunday a sunday night or whatever but i didn't catch the beginning um and i remember uh, oh god i would have only been about 12 or 13 so i don't think i was particularly that age particularly interested in watching a very I don't know, I think Godfather seemed like hard work at the time. And I just sort of fell into this um, weird story of this um, guy who's keep, he, who keeps getting pulled back in um, and not quite realizing it was the God until the ad and said, oh, Godfather, oh my God, I'm watching a Godfather movie. But no, it was literally on TV. And then as I got older, I think I watched two and then uh, maybe only about seven, six years ago, I finally got around and said, I should really watch the original. Right. <laughs> and finally sat down and watched The Godfather, <laughs> the original. I, I've done that with so many times with some with sequel movies. I, I, I totally understand that. <laughs> uh, so with your podcast, Schlock and Awe, and you're talking about double features, mm. what would you double feature something like the God, any of those Godfather movies with? Do you, do you know any kind of... I'm interested to see that. Um, I like pairing the Godfather 3 with um, King of New York, the one you mentioned before. Frank White is a free man. How come you never came to see me? Who wanted to see you in a cage, man? He served his time. What can we expect from the reformed Frank White? I want to be mayor. He paid his debt. Go someplace where you can stay out of trouble. But some things don't change. From here on, nothing goes down unless I'm involved. No blackjack, no dope deals, no nothing. You're waiting years for this. I know what you're up to, White. Forget it. I'm gonna make you and your friends disappear long before that. Are you arresting me? Frank's Park Avenue attorney can get him out in 10 minutes. 10 minutes later! Got a quarter million dollar contract on anyone involved in this case. The cops tried to stop him their way. I'm not your problem. I'm just a businessman. Now they'll have to do it his way. There's only one way to get Frank. Christopher Walken, King of New York. You expected to get away with killing all these people? I never killed anybody that didn't deserve it. Just because it's Ferreira and Coppola, and I think they have a very specific New York um, mentality to their movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, that's, that's a good one. I didn't think yeah. about that, but that, that's a good one. Yeah, and they're slightly, they're, they're completely different in tone and in violence and um, just because they got completely different energies, but they're still in that kind of New York gangster. That's the one on top of my head. 
Um, yeah, I wonder how Francis Ford Coppola would feel being compared to a movie with Abel Ferreira. <laughs> oh, he, he's he's probably going, no, no. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, okay, now you bring up Abel Ferreira and I'm getting even more excited. Um, yeah. I really like his filmography. I like his his insanity, like when he's like in the public eye. I don't, I can't believe someone like him is making, has made movies and like they actually are really well done movies. <laughs> Yeah, he started in greasy exploitation and he slid into art movies. Um, I haven't watched his couple of latest, but I know that they are very, very more art movies. Like he made, uh, oh, the uh, Italian director who made uh, oh, Thousand made, Days of Sodom, Hundred yeah, Days of Sodom, P- yeah, with Pasolini. That's it. Yeah, he made a um, biopic about him, and so he's kind of gone, yeah, from literally from these um, the Driller Killer, the Driller Killer, all the Ms. Forty Five, all the way through to these very kind of highbrow, very oh, overly artsy art films. Um, I just I love his his filmography. You just see the <laughs> he did this one film that had a Kino release called Rome, 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 I believe, and oh, it's basically yeah. it's basically like a like footage of the city of Rome with his mm-hmm. narration of the history of the city. It's very <laughs> weird. <laughs> That sounds very him. <laughs> yeah, I still need to see Lieutenant, though, I think is what it's called, with um, Harvey Keitel. I need to see that, and I need to see the sequel as well, which is uh, Port of Call with Nicolas Cage, directed yeah, by Werner Herzog. Herzog. So, right? yeah, yeah, that would be... Uh, you might need to watch those two back-to-back, because <laughs> Werner Herzog and a, um, Abel Ferreira tackling the same um, the same material would be fascinating. <laughs> uh, okay, so Werner Herzog was in The Mandalorian, which I just binged through that first season. I oh, would love yes. to see... I would love to see Abel Ferreira in the Star Wars universe, just kind of like freaking out. I feel like he'd be like a perfect, like, uh, like, like, let's say Attack of the Clones, where that one guy says, "Do you want to buy dipsticks to uh, to Obi Wan?" Yes. I could see Abel Ferreira doing something like that. I don't know. I'm no. gonna do my best impression. Where he's like, "Hey, uh, do you want to like buy some dipsticks or something?" I don't know. You know, I don't. Know. He's just always like moving his hands, and I don't know. I love Abel. Yes. No. Now that you've said it, I need this because I've never been so excited when I found out that um, Werner Herzog was going to be in the, the Mandalorian. I was like, uh, "What? What's going on?" And then to have him there talking, very tonging about the child. Um, I was just like going, "This. I didn't know I needed this, but now this is all I want. I just want <laughs> Werner Herzog being in, in the Mandalorian. It was glorious." <laughs> I'm so fascinated with uh, how much people actually love Warner Herzog films because I'm very, very. Um, I would say uneducated in his filmography. Like I know yeah. of his works, but I actually haven't seen a lot of his work at all. Um, but like so many people were like championing when he was on that show and he did really great on it. And I do want to see more of his works now for, uh, for just because of that role he played. So it's really great to see like how many stands there are of Warner on there. <laughs> He's just got it. Oh, you just want to like him. I don't know what it is. He's, his earlier films, you can, I think he'd be really hard to be around because I think he's a literal crazy person. Like, he's taking <laughs> um, Klaus Kinski, who he hated and wanted, they generally wanted to kill each other in the jungle where they could almost die, making movies about people killing each other in the jungle um, <laughs> twice, not just the once. Um, and then he started making these documentaries, and he's got this kind of very weird kind of, you just want to talk with him. Like, I saw this uh, interview documentary he did with um, Gorbachev. And Werner Herzog is the biggest Gorbachev fanboy. It's oh boy! <laughs> kind of delightful. He's just—he's got this kind of weird grin on his face, and just because he's sort of saying, "Oh, you're the reason why Germany became united again," whether through his mismanagement of Russia or the fact that he modernized Russia. Yeah, and um, interesting. It's—he it's, doesn't push him or anything, but it's just this kind of fascinating documentary um, about the sort of the fall of communism in Russia. 
and Gorbachev's kind of leadership. And he's but he's being a fanboy, and it's such because it's, it's a really big political documentary intense. And then you just got him giggling in the corner, giving Gorbachev chocolate. It's like, <laughs> what? What is happening? <laughs> and that is generally a Wurzog, um, what's going to documentary. <laughs> You're just watching it going, huh? <laughs> the guy who cried when he saw the child, um, on set, <laughs> he did that. I heard that story and I was like, I would do. No, the thing is, they weren't. They made the puppet, but they weren't sure if they were going to use the puppet. And he called them cowards if they didn't use it. I'm like, yes, why would I? Don't you dare CGI I need, this. I need more director energy like that for yeah, movies, that, you know? That is, yeah, that is when Werner Herzog all over. It's, yeah, you, once you sort of find your sort of path, it can be a bit difficult to get into, but when you find your pathway, it's, it's glorious. <laughs> <laughs> Which is totally opposite of like the director we'll be talking about today with Francis exactly. Ford Coppola. Exactly. Stark contrast. He to yes. me is like one of the last remnants of Golden Age Hollywood. Which I I don't know I don't know where you stand with this Golden Age art um, conversation. Mm -hmm. I know to me it's the seventies when I just compare pound for pound the films that come out. But and there'll be people that say earlier than that. And I don't know when I think of like the seventies. I guess you have to say Coppola as well there too. Um, I don't know. Where do you what, what do you think about that? Like, there's is the golden generation of like Hollywood. Is that like all? Is that subjective or is that like? Is there like a definitive time when people are like this was the golden age of Hollywood? No, because I think Hollywood has about three or four golden ages. <laughs> so it just depends on which one's your favorite. Um, oh, I love the '70s because of this click that Coppola was in with. It was um, the film geek um, generation of actors who'd grown up on movies. It. The big click and they were in. They were such a click. Even Steven Spielberg, who don't think went to that same school, was still part of it. But yeah, Lucas Spielberg. He, him and Lucas, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Lucas wouldn't have the career he had if it wasn't for Coppola. It's just, um, yes, yeah, it was uh, De Palma, Spielberg, Scorsese, Coppola, and Lucas. Um, this kind of weird, these film geeks who loved movies and were now making movies. It wasn't just a job that they kind of got apprenticed into. They actually went to school. They actually learned the trade. They watched movies obsessively and now they were making them. And you can kind of feel that in Coppola's uh, movies. And um, I think he's kind of considered the more artsy of, of them, but I was, and I, but I think he considered himself the more mainstream, oddly <laughs> enough. Um <laughs> His movies he, definitely reflect it, probably. <laughs> yeah, like they're kind of very big classic uh, operatic going back to almost the 40 styles of gangster movies, if you'd want to talk about Godfather in, in, in particular. Um, he liked he liked using sets. He didn't like going out in the, in the wild. Um, and so I think he kind of does bridge the two kind of golden ages of the 50s and the 70s together with that kind of 50s mentality, but with the 70s auteur. Um and when you get into the making of the original Godfather, it's fascinating the battles that he won um, to get Al Pacino in, to make it, keep it Italian, to all this kind of um, thing. So I think he's a he's he's a fascinating, bombastic, egotist, most egotistical out of that group, I would say, or outwardly e egotistical. But then you look at his movies and you're like, okay, okay, Francis, yeah, okay, you win, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, every time you see like those old iconic photos of these '70s directors, mm -hmm. um, you know they're they're just all like the only one that I'm not well versed in, which I would say is De Palma. I've definitely, <laughs> I mean, I think I've seen I've seen Carrie from him, yeah. and uh, I'm probably missing a few, uh, probably one other one I've seen. Mm -hmm. I know Daniel bought me the um, Dress to Kill Blu-ray, so I have to watch <laughs> that. <laughs> um, Sorry, no, I 
Yes, I love De Palma because he's almost American Jalo. There's a few films like Dress to Kill, um, Body Double. Yeah, I'd put Blowout, which I love Blowout. Um, yeah, I've seen Blown Up, and I think I like Blowout more. I was not a fan of Antonioni's Blowout. <laughs> I'm still getting into Antonioni. I don't quite know yeah, where I'm with him. Um, yeah, those are listening right now. These aren't sequel movies we're listing. This, <laughs> is, just the, this is the film geek part of the conversation. Yes. Um, but De Palma is he's so Hitchcock that it goes into Jalo often. And um, he's all about uh, split diapter shots and it tricks and um, especially blowout, which is all about movie making. It, that's what it's about. It's about how you make a movie out of a conspiracy with a conspiracy. It's hard to describe, but it's definitely, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And same John help- Lithgow performance. <laughs> I can't help but compare. Like, I feel like uh, Francis, Francis, the way he's meticulous with his movies, the from, from the ones I've seen with him, yes, he yeah. is so much like a Kubrick for his for his from his friends. I would say just being constantly in the editing room. Oh, yes, being very perfectionistic about things. Um, let's see. I, I didn't really get into bonus features of movies until I was probably in community college, and uh, <laughs> that's uh, you know, so like I, I would go back and watch like the original Godfather mm. and like you know, watch the bonus features on those and just hearing him talk and like seeing the way his sets were. And I was like, man, this guy must've been a pain to work with. I mean, I mean, Marlon Brando probably knows that best, but I mean, no, I will. <laughs> yeah. Well, Marlon Brando is also a pain to work with. So I think those two are always made in heaven for each other. Um, <laughs> no, when you read the stories on what happened on the apocalypse now set, um, when they did disaster, <laughs> just after disaster, it was just how how did not anyone not die? And it would have just been Dennis Hopper in the corner or dinging. It's um, and he was the most well behaved out of all of them, which is kind of hard to believe. Um, I know I would kept thinking it was going to be Martin Sheen. I'm like, I feel like he's the one that's out of place in that whole set. You know, <laughs> just the yes, type of but actor. He was, but he had a heart attack and nearly died. <laughs> So it was just, and Marlon Brando was being very Marlon Brando, as in he just came on set, didn't know his lines, and um, Coppola had to cut around him and had to literally change the last act because Barlow was being Marlon. Um, no, it's he's his movies uh, seem very co- places of conflict. Like he, I think he works seems to work better when there's a lot of conflict, especially like in Dracula or when he's kind of fueling. I guess the passions of his actors to try and mm-hmm. get a very specific performance out of them. Yeah. One thing about Coppola I love is when I watch his movies, uh, this sounds really, really like snobby to say, but like you can tell like he, he knows his camera work in oh, all yeah. his movies. You know, the camera speaks for itself. It's very, yeah. it's very Godardish where it's like, he's doing certain shot and set pieces to like tell a scene, you know? And I think the Godfather, um, he does it with Dracula too, um, like you said. And I've just always have noticed that with his movies, and I always really enjoyed it. I, I would say, I mean, Apocalypse Now probably that's more about the location than anything else. Yeah. But um, I, I just had always noticed that, and that's why I really like The Godfather. When I think about The Godfather movies, I always think about certain scenes, and I think it's because of the type of camera work he's doing for each of those scenes. It's it's always conveying something. Oh, just even that opening shot of the original Godfather, where you hear the music first. And then you hear the um, uh, the guy who's he's coming to the Don for help mm-hmm. and he's telling the story about his daughter and then it sort of just pushes in on this oak panel kind of thing as he's telling the story which sets up the rest of the story, the rest of the Godfather perfectly, like the uh, American dream, the immigration story, all that kind of thing. 
And just the way those all kind of match together, you just suddenly goes, oh, okay, yes, from the first frame, I know I'm watching a natural masterpiece. Um, yep. <laughs> and you're right with, and with the with the original Godfather, you do think of certain scenes um, and moments. Like I love the end when he closes the door on dying Keaton, um, yes. because he's he's completely gone to the dark side. Mm-hmm. Or you know, uh, at work we always um, quote leave the uh, leave the gun, take the cannoli. For some reason <laughs> at work, that is a line that every single time someone asks us, "Oh, do you want me to do this?" I'm like, "Yeah, leave the gun, take the cannoli." It means yes, do that. <laughs> Oh, that's good. I, I need to start using that more. I I, I, yeah. I need to start quoting The Godfather more. But, um, boy, do you remember seeing that first film? Um, I know you saw it in reverse, but I mean, I just remember watching the first Godfather when I was in high school. On a, I, I'm sure people are going to be up in arms if anything. I watched it on a portable DVD player in my room at like 10 p.m. My yeah. like junior year of high school. Mm. Cause like my parents were like you got to go to bed and I was like okay well my portable DVD player had it my rental from the of the Godfather from Family Video and just you know pausing it to see if anybody was coming in my room <laughs> and then I remember the part where he right before he shot Clemenza Michael mm-hmm. and um, my heart had never in a, like watched a movie beat it so fast in like mm-hmm. anticipation so um, that good Godfather is something. <laughs> no, that yeah, just when yeah he's about to come back out from the bathroom and. Um... There's, there's just certain moments when they're moving um, his father around the hospital to try and not get, because I sort of knew all about the horse's head and I'll make him an offer you can't refuse and all this kind of thing. But it was, um, I remember being completely, I just, it was, I think, I can't remember when I watched it. I know it was on the house and sitting on the couch, just sort of going, oh yeah, I'll sit down and finally watch The Godfather. So and, like you need to do that. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't expect it when Sonny, um, was oh, taken James out. Khan, yeah. James Khan, he's so good. I know. Um, it's one of the few parts of the movie. Like, it's a perfect part, but I'm also like, I could also love this movie with him living. <laughs> yes. If he if he had made it to the sequels, I mean, I know there's a flashback in, like, movie two when he pops up again. I'm like, yep. yeah. Sonny! Um, and just, I love Fredo. Just constantly love Fredo, even in the first one. I don't John know. There's Cazelle. just John yes. Cazelle, the master. Um, it's, I don't know. It, he got somehow got managed to get every single amazing actor from the early seven that were coming up in the early seventies mm. and put them in a movie and cast them exactly right. But you're right. You're just watching it and you're just marveling at the whole thing. I think the first time I watched the Godfather, I couldn't, I was just sitting, not even taking in the story, what was happening. Just you're right. Watching the cam- camera movements, the performances, the, the, um, the editing, that's kind of what I was just watching and all going, oh, this is why this is a masterpiece. Okay, I understand now. I get it. <laughs> yeah, and it's almost like those things are almost better than the plots themselves. The plots of the Godfather movies, I've always felt they're they're pretty good stories, but everything else about it is what makes the movies what they are. You know? Oh, um, oh definitely. Like I think I, I constantly when I watch the Godfather movies, and at least now, I'm always like, I already know what the story, the the you know the whole pathway to the end is going to be but it's like you stay for like the fantastic footage and the editing skills that coppola has there yeah um you know i keep forgetting what the plots are like i was trying (laughs) to go back and say what happened in three even though i just worked a few days ago i'm like what is three what is it actually okay oh that's right this this and this happened so the actual sequence (laughs) of events in um the godfather movies don't always matter to me like i can never even I think part two, I struggle to tell you what actually happened, except for what ha- for, except for Fredo. <laughs> yeah, two was the one I actually struggled with the most storyline mm. with. Um, I yes. still think uh, you know people think it's the best sequel ever made, and you know there's an argument for that for sure. 
and two is amazing, but mm. I still love that first one more. Um, and three, um, which we'll talk about, I think that story is a little bit easier to get a hold of too. It is. It makes more sense. Um, it makes more sense as a story. Um, and considering that the the code is out, it even makes more sense. Um, which you can talk about how a movie is edited. Uh, we'll get that into that later oh, on. God. But um, yeah. <laughs> it's. But yeah, three is makes more sense as a story as in what is happening it's just everything else about that movie goes a little bit insane <laughs> yeah so let's talk about godfather 3 we talked about mm. Coppola a little bit and this episode's going to be mind you listeners about three hours long much, much like all the godfather movies <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, but um so godfather 3 uh came out in 1990 it was nominated for best picture in 1991 it ultimately did it lose to dances with wolves yes yes Yes, it, I remember. Yeah, yeah. I'd forgotten that it was actually nominated for Best Picture. Yes, it was. Yeah. Mm. It, it, I mean, I would personally say it did deserve a nomination. How, however, it, you could make the argument it was a courtesy nomination due to it being the third of this amazing franchise and the first two both being nominated and um, winning Best Pictures. Mm. Um, but it lost to Dances with Wolves from Kevin Costner. And it was th that same year, I think Awakenings was nominated and mm. Goodfellas was as well. Oh, yes, because that's the whole thing is that how did um, Dancers with Wolves beat God, uh, Goodfellas? <laughs> yes. And you know what? That's such a harder argument is the older I feel like people around me are than mm -hmm. it used to be. Because I feel like it used to be where, oh, Goodfellas easily should have won Best Picture because we all love Goodfellas. I mean, that movie is timeless. Oh. Um, but I, I'm starting to notice the more we, my my friends around me, my parents even, like we talk about movies, we bring up Dance with Wolves. It's like less of the criticisms about not about Goodfellas not winning and more about like how good actually Dance Wolves maybe is. Um, yeah, I remember the, my dad took me to see um, Dances with Wolves. I remember what, um, which I don't know how me as like, oh God, are we 91? A nine-year-old <laughs> had the, because um, that movie's only four hours, I think. <laughs> only um, four hours. <laughs> only four. Um, how I had the attention span for that movie, and I remember sitting there really enjoying it. Um, I haven't seen Same it. Same with me in Titanic. Lord knows, I don't know. Yeah, I still. I'm just like I remember because I bought it. So I'm like, oh, I'm gonna watch it, and then I sort of was looking at the runtime, going, I watched this in the theater when I was how 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 did I do that? It was um, it was very sort of strange. Like I just remember just going, I don't, I don't understand how that <laughs> happened, but I I remember my mind memory. <laughs> really enjoying it so yeah the 90s i swear to god you look at the the decades list for nominees and and mm. winners for oscars the 90s is the one that is like what was going on it feels like yes. that's when it's like the commercialism with the um with like the actual Indecent. product don't mm. kind of add up as much <laughs> you know yeah no because in the 90s you get the rise of the independent um because like god uh pulp fiction was nominated for best mm -hmm. picture in 94 nine uh, for nine the 95 oscars and 94 was a hell of a year for movies. When you see what, what was actually nominated, you're like, oh, bloody hell. But it was yeah. Forrest Gump, that one. And that is such an – I watched that movie so many times that I'm not as subjective about it as I should be because um, it was on TV a lot. Um, oh, boy, that's like the that. prime TV movie right there, speaking about that conversation. <laughs> and just making a conversation. Even when I was in the States like five years ago, we turned on cable, Forrest Gump was on again. Um, mm -hmm. And – it's but Forrest Gump is such an Oscar movie. Um, it is that kind of movie that the Academy will always tend to vote for. Like they'll nominate your pulp fictions, your more kind of um, up and coming kind of things. And it's 
very rare that um, Parasite usually wins. It's usually right. the 1917. Um, but the last year, all that long ago, this year, Jesus Christ, it feels like it was two years ago when Parasite actually won. It does feel so long. Yeah. The talk, I think we ended the decade on a great note with good things to come and then COVID happened. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why that's the case. It's like we're on to something really big here and then COVID yes. just COVID ruins just the momentum. Ruined, yeah. Everyone's in momentum. So everything feels like so long ago. I'm like, oh, wait. Um, but no, I think there are certain movies, especially in the 90s, that we get nominated that were considered more edgy, more kind of modern film that represented what was happening in the 90s, like your Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you sort of, I thought, well, I think Godfather 3 kind of falls in the middle of it. I think Coppola was a very different director when he was making oh. 3 than when he was, because this is just before he made Dracula, and Dracula is mm-hmm. a very specific creature. Yeah. Um, and he's not going to be the same director he was in the early 70s. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a it was worthy to be nominated, but I think it was definitely seen more as a courtesy. Well, you, this is the third in the trilogy of which you made one and two, which are considered all-timers. So, Yeah, I, I would say it definitely didn't deserve to win. I, I, no. I'm fine with the nomination there. It did get seven nominations, though. I was surprised by that. Um, I mean, not for very obvious things, picture, um, editing, director yes. yes cinematography uh sound mixing of course those are staples of the godfather movies no problems there but they didn't win for any of them um no but wow, yeah the godfather was nominated in 91 sorry i just got distracted i was looking at the <laughs> it's fun that's what i do a lot of times if like yeah. i mean i just recently watched um uh bob fossey's uh lenny with uh oh. dustin hoffman yes and um i i watched actually all that jazz first before I watched mm. that movie a, a long, like about a year or so ago. And I, yeah. I still want to see Cabaret though. That's the only uh, Fosse I've seen is Cabaret. It's, I like it. I hear it's great stuff. Mm. And then it's like, well, at first I watched um, all that jazz and I'm like, man, this guy, you know, I was thinking of just Bob, Bob, I said, this is a talented guy who has a dark side. I kind of like it. Oh, and then, no, that's Cabaret all over. And then, <laughs> when that yeah, movie that's... ends, it's, you could go straight into Schindler's List without batting an eye. It's terrifying. <laughs> That's what I hear. And I, one of these days I'm gonna have to pick it up or just watch it. Um, mm. but then I, I watched, um, uh, Lenny recently mm. and I was like, Oh, because basically they're coinciding. Cause all that jazz came out after Lenny, but it was also yes. an autobiographical movie, which is weird at the same time too. And it's just weird. And when I'm watching Lenny, I'm like, Oh, so this is why he wants to kill himself in all that. Yes. jazz. <laughs> Which I don't blame him. It must've been a editing nightmare and a very miserable experience, but yes. Mm. Um, but speaking of 1979, because that's when all that jazz came out, um, The Godfather 3 takes place in 1979. Um, mm. Yes, which, it does. Which is interesting because we came in 1991 and the original Godfathers came out in 71 and 74, I believe. Mm. Yes. And so I, I don't know. I, I, I totally forgot when I rewatched it that, oh, this movie takes place in 79. Why? It does not look like – well, in timelines, it makes sense because I think um, the original Godfather takes place in the 1940s, early 50s. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, so I think it's meant to be the timeline, but Godfather 3 does not look like it's in, set in the 70s. It looks like a more classic 90s movie. Yeah, I was going to say, it like 80s, like total yeah. con- consumerism, you know? Consumerism, it is about, it's very much a, a, the Catholic Wall Street movie. Yeah, exactly. I love that. <laughs> um, it is very much, it is very, it feels like a very contemporary movie and does not feel like a movie that's meant to be set in the New York in the late 70s, which it was not the New York that is presented. Um, but in saying that, whenever I think um, of Godfather, I think it's filmed in the set in the seventies, but it's actually a much older movie. So he's Coppola. I don't think has particularly ever been uh, concerned with per, uh, period um, 
period um uh how the period actually looked is what I <laughs> yeah that's true i i would say maybe in the first um he definitely got that because if anything mm-hmm. if you told me this movie six was 79 i would see the godfather part two is probably that much better fitted for that yeah um but with this one, it does feel like I feel like it should have been like 1985 or something like the Corleones trying to, like you said, Wall Street with the Catholic Church. It feels yes. exactly like that's perfect, mm. perfectly said. Um, but I do like that, that it's taking um, that age old struggle that Michael has trying to make the Corleone family legitimate. Yes. Uh, I, I really enjoy that. I think the older I've gotten in, this is like my third time watching this movie. Mm. And um, I really appreciate the the story and the the trials and tribulations that Francis Ford Coppola makes Michael go through in this movie more than I ever noticed before because in the first two movies if you haven't seen Michael has to suffer these consequences because of his family and yes. he makes these decisions for his family then he just has to suffer through them in this one some of the decisions are just basically things he personally did that have come back to haunt him so he has no one yeah. to blame but himself and that's what no. I really like no, I like his, um, it sort of seems everything's to come coming back in the third one to really bite him on the ass. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's, um, he's reacting to everything, not, he, he's reacting to everything. He's not the kind of, he's a bit more passive in three than I would say he is in one and two. Because one, he's deciding whether or not he doesn't want anything to do with the family. And then he slowly gets weaved in to the mechanics and then is crowned the Don. And the second one, it's about him being the Don and the repercussions of that as in, you know, what he does to Fredo and him having to make these sort of, he's losing his soul. He's basically saying, I I got this power. I've got everything. Therefore I can do whatever I want. By the third Mm -hmm. one, he's older. He wants redemption. So he's trying to do all this thing with the Catholic church to try and, Oh, what's the word when you're trying to amend your soul yeah. confession? It's like a big kind of confession, um, trying to get your soul back in the good graces so you can go to heaven when he dies. And that's kind of why he brings his kids back into New York because they are the good. And if he can make, if he can connect with his kids, he can kind of become more legitimate and um, everything like that. But unfortunately, his legacy still lives in New York. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm going to come up and um, cause trouble. So he, he can't quite leave that behind. Yeah, I, I, I love how in three it bounces between the Vatican and um, uh, the, the New York um, underground, uh, crime underground. Mm-hmm. Because in the second one, my problem was the Las Vegas um, setting and then going to New York and then the Miami aspects with Hyman Roth. Oh, I really didn't right. care for that yes. stuff too much. You know, like the Miami stuff. At first, Hyman Roth as a character really pissed me off. I really yeah. did not care for him mm. um, uh, just because I thought he was a really good character. But the more I've, I've, I've grown to really appreciate what that movie is trying to do, because it probably is one of the harder hitting movies from a moral standpoint. Uh, but this movie, the third one, I just feel so bad for Michael. There are times when I'm watching him re- react to um, somebody saying something or an event happening, mm. and he just has like a heart attack or a stroke, or he's just like, I love the part where, um, like, he's just like telling uh, Andy Garcia's character Vincent that you mm. know, like, don't ever let anybody know what you're thinking, you know. But then like he has a huge ar- outburst of a heart attack, and he's like saying like "f you" to this person stuff, and I'm like wow, he's got like a lot of pent up things. And I'm like, this is not a healthy way to live. <laughs> no. Um, and he kind of, he's also trying to rewrite history because in the second one, you actively dislike him. He is the villain of the, the piece, the way he treats his wife, his family, 
um, that whole yeah, because I completely forgot about that Florida Florida stuff and even the Las Vegas. Um, oh, stuff and in Cuba oh. too. <laughs> yeah, he's like he's like going for world domination or something weird like that, yeah. and um, and so in the third one, he's often you can feel him trying to rewrite history. So when he goes back to Sicily he's saying oh this is where my father lived and he was and he's kind of trying to rewrite the family history in a way to make sure it's not as organized crime mafia as maybe it was when it, we can see go back to see godfather 2 and exactly see kind of what happened especially with um robert de niro playing young young um young don uh well the don um so it's kind of interesting about how he's constantly trying to rewrite history, but history keeps coming back and going, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, it's like your money and power can't erase what you've already done. <laughs> yes. And I feel like I've, I've always felt bad for Michael compared to Vito because we get Vito's story in one and two, and it's great. Yeah. I, I love Marlon Brando, that first movie. It's despite mm. what we think of Marlon Brando, I love him as an actor. He's one of my favorites. Oh, he's a great and, actor, yeah. Um, and just that Godfather, I miss that aspect of him in the second one. But I definitely do think Michael goes through more shit than Vito's character ever had to go through. Oh, yes. Like, um, because is um Vincent Sonny's kid? Or I always forget yeah, which, how... Yeah, that's the weird thing about this movie. That's a little... But he's I not part of say... the family, but he is. So I think, is he a, like a, legit, a legitimate son that he's Sonny He's an illegitimate had? son. And it's yeah. such a such a minor, minor detail from that but first movie. It should really um be more expounded on where how he fits in the family because i love okay we'll have to get into sophia at some point but there's this amazing thing where she kind of does when she's first talking to vincent where she sounds like she's may west like why don't you come up and see me sometime when she's sort of <laughs> sitting on the table and she's kind of to this come ever <laughs> it's very strange um but she's even saying we're cousins but we're not cousins or no you're actually my cousin so they're constantly um, whatever the mood takes them. Oh no, he's not part of the family, but yes, he is part of the family. So I was always, even the multiple times I've watched it, I'm like, so Sonny had an affair or Sonny obviously had a kid out of wedlock that wasn't his wife and something. Yeah. So from the first Godfather movie, the opening has Sonny with his wife and everyone yeah. at the wedding and yes. he goes off and bang, I shouldn't say bang on here, but he goes and has sex. Excuse me. We're adults. He goes and has sex with one of the bridesmaids. And yes. I remember this now. I forgot about that part. Yes. It's such a weird quick scene, but it's like emphasized. I've, and I know why it's emphasized yeah. because it's showing that Sonny had cheated on his wife and Vincent yeah. is the outcome of that, but he's not mm. mentioned at all in the second movie. And in the third movie, it's just Andy Garcia showing up with pure sex appeal yes. with his, Oh my goodness, leather jacket. <laughs> leather jacket, red suit. I just looks yeah. great. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just love Andy Garcia. <laughs> but he just shows up and it's like, okay, well, she knows who he is because they call each other cuz. So they have this, yes. this you know, this relationship. Michael and says, Yeah, I know who a Vincent is, but he acts like he doesn't know him in the beginning when he meets up. But he has obviously known about him. Yes, and Talia Shire definitely knows who he is because she yeah. goes, It's Sonny's boy. So um it's kind of this weird he's because he's obviously trying to, he's been working with Joe May, I can never pronounce his name. Oh, uh, with Joey um, ba Zaza. Zaza, yeah. Joe Mantenigna, I, I always pronounce, I'm butchering that name, but he, I love him in this movie. He's so slimy. He's um, funny. <laughs> he's so funny. Um, he's, he's always been doing that. So he's kind of been working in the, in the side business of the Carl, uh, the family. And then he's made his play to go to this um, event get into the room with uh, Michael and then kind of go, no, I'm your nephew. 
I need to be more involved. And this is when Michael's trying to go legit. So it's this kind of weird push and pull between where the family is going to go because is Vincent going to take it back to a more criminal kind of thing or is it is he going to be legitimate? So yeah, I've always been my my that was a, a problem I've always had when watching this movie. It's like I personally know what's going on. Mm. I've read the Godfather book and I've oh, watched those okay, movies, yeah. and the book's great. It's fantastic. Things like this in the book, but for yeah. some reason Coppola doesn't really acknowledge them some of those minor details as well, because obviously they make a big impact later on in the stories. Mm. And I never understood why it's like a guessing game to like say, Hey, surprise, Sonny had a son when he like, Oh, well you put it in the opening of the movie. So it's like, yeah, you probably should have done more building up to this Vincent character. instead of just spring him on audiences, you know? Yes. Yeah. Because there's almost like 20 years between the second and third one and <laughs> almost more between the first and the third. Yeah. Uh, so that was always an issue I had. The other thing was with, um, Sophia Coppola's character, Mary and Vincent's relationship. So like, he's a half son to Sonny, but by the dads. So like, I don't know what that relationship is with Mary and him, like technically, cause they have a romantic relationship. They do. So it's, it's first like, cousins. <laughs> yeah. So it's tech. I'm always trying to think like, I need like a chart. I need to be like Charlie day where they, they draw like a chart and like explain it to me. Like, so this is what they actually are. Yes. Because Yes, because it's obviously romantic. Um, they obviously one love one another, um, <laughs> but at the same time, you're just like going, um, "Okay, I'm pretty, yeah." What? So, what's the chart of the family? Because I'm getting very, very confused. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's one of those weird um, situations I never understood. I'm like, so like, is it as like obviously it's bad, but like, is it actually as bad as we're making it out to be, or no? Yeah. Or did like Francis Ford Coppola just steal one out of Last Tango in Paris, sort of? Yes, you know, I. <laughs> It's just it's weird. I don't I don't it's 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 kind of sus, I guess I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> Lindsay, it's kind of sus even to this day yes. for me. <laughs> it's a little sus. I keep thinking someone needs to have a uh, what they used to do back in the Middle Ages when uh two close relations would have to um think they'd have to get a pope dispense or something, like permission from the pope. <laughs> just sort of say, "No, you guys are not related. It's fine." <laughs> it's like Right. Yeah. It's like I don't know. It's just such a weird I don't, I never understood I kind of understood it, but it just feels weird. And I know in the Coda version, Coppola amends that in yes, ways. It does, yeah. Um, but let's just get into Sofia Coppola because part of the reason I feel like people haven't seen this movie, one is because, you know, there's such long movies, but two, people complain about uh, Sofia Coppola and her inclusion in the movie. And um, at first, I would say I could totally understand not liking it. But the more I've watched this movie, the less I don't mind of Sofia Coppola. Like, I actually enjoy the mary character i don't think she's really that bad when you consider mm. she's her character is 19 years old in the movie yeah um like she's not supposed to be the sophisticated um talia shire connie type or anything like no. that you know she's she's just a girl who loves her dad um and i don't I, I guess she does have a few scenes that are like for too long but at the same time i'm like apolina had a lot of scenes in that first movie too like yes and she's only for not even 30 minutes of the movie. So. Exactly. No, I think I think the main thing is that because she is a Coppola and the daughter of Vaz Sports, so everyone was like, oh, does the whole thing like you were saying, I think I, I think it was on the podcast with um, Daniel did on with Sherry Moon Zombie about mm -hmm. things. Like, oh, people yes. rag on her because she's the wife, even yeah. though she's actually perfectly fitted for those movies and it is a collaboration. Um, 
And I think it's the same thing a little bit with um, with, Sof- with Sophie. Oh, she's the daughter. That's why she got cast. And admittedly, it was a very last minute cast. It was meant to be Winona Ryder playing Mary. And she pulled out at the last minute. But I don't think she's terrible. I think she is a 19-year-old girl who wants to please her father, who wants to actually have a relationship with him. The, and she may, I think it's kind of like uh, the James Bond movie with uh, uh, Christmas Jones. Um, very, very pretty girl. Um, I Anyway, she plays Christmas Jones. Anyone who knows that knows what movie I'm talking about. I always get two <laughs> James Bond movies mixed up. And you've got this very young actress who's there, obviously, because she's very, very cute and very hot. And she's thrown in with Piers Brosnan, Dame Judi Dench, all these really great character act, British character actors. And I think she probably wasn't getting the direction that she needed because, and I think, so she gets a little bit lost in the weeds. And I think same, same happened with Sophie. The only scene I don't like is when she's trying to ask her dad if the money for the Institute that she's now running is legitimate. And she's worried that it's going to be, Oh, this is going to be uh this is from bad money or illegitimate money. Mm-hmm. You're just using me to clean it. And he's like, no, this is legitimate. I promise you. I'm not getting you anything illegal. This is all above board. Yeah. And that's the only scene where I think she's having to sort of stretch her emotions uh, maybe beyond what she's capable of. But everything else, I really don't mind. Yeah, that's such a weird scene just in general. They're just like on yeah. a rooftop just yes. having breakfast and then just balancing the checkbook, I guess. Yes, it is a weird scene. And one thing I did, because that scene did stick out for that same reason. Mm. I was like, yeah, I can see the scene not being good. But yeah. also Al Pacino is weird in that scene, too. He is actually. Yeah, he's not I don't, complete. It doesn't it's feel a, like Oscar winner Pacino there. It feels like, I don't know, it just it just it was a weird scene. But then Tom yes. Hagen's son shows up, which I know is another complaint about this movie is that Tom Hagen from Robert Duvall is not in this movie, but his son is mm. in it. And I like mm. his son and his wife in it. Like, I, it's it's nice to know that Michael supported them um, throughout yeah. the movie. And I kind of like, as much as I love Tom Hagen, and I think he's indispensable in the first two movies, I kind of like that he's not in it because he's, he, Michael has to, he doesn't have his moral compass mm-hmm. or he doesn't have kind of his person on his shoulder to go, no, don't do this, do that. Um, as efficiently as Hagen did, even though I think he, so I think Michael's had to traverse the world without that. And he's making mistakes because he doesn't have, I don't think he would have made half the mistakes he makes in three if he had Tom Hagen um Robert Duvall on his on his side because he wouldn't he would have gone no do not do that don't mm-hmm. get Vincent anywhere near this this is all going to end very badly if you do um because he's going to bring an element that you're trying to get away from um so yeah I think it works without him there because you feel his presence presence not there you know oh if Hagen was there this would not happen <laughs> that's so true uh yeah I, I that's like part of the reason those first two movies are so powerful is because of his portrayal and can we just acknowledge the fact that there's a there's two movies out there that had um al pacino john cazell robert duvall um y- you know one point james Kahn yes. and marlon brando like these all these actors were all on screen together at one point or another and yes. it's like that's insane like i still love that um oh i know in this movie, though, you get – I like the – Coppola really knows how to pick his cast, though. I will say he, he really does know how because he has Bridget Fonda in the early 90s here. And oh, that's my God. Like, talk, about, talk about pure sex. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's in there all over Andy Garcia. Andy Garcia's oh. in this movie. Diane Keaton returns. You have Talia yes. Shire come back. Yes. Um, it's just like these – these actors for that are part of the new and the old coming together, mm. I really, really like that. And I think one thing you can't complain about really is the cast, even if you mm. don't have a 
you have a problem with Sophia, I still think like she fits in this world um, mm. pretty well. Um, one thing I did notice this time around with watching the third one was the similarities between the third and the first one. The second mm, one yes. is not very many similarities mm. it's just callbacks because it's just progressing the story. But in terms of scene by scene, I see a lot of comparisons to the first movie. No, I think it is because I think, um, well, we don't see Vito looking for redemption. I think he dies before, or even if he wants it, I, he's quite happy being the most powerful man yeah. in the, in the room. Um, but I think um, Michael is struggling it's kind of, as I said, um, Hagen's still in this movie, even though he's not. And I think the same as the Vito, because he's mm-hmm. constantly comparing himself to his father, especially when he's in Sicily and trying to rewrite this history. Um, that never actually happened because he kind of wants to have this specific memory of his father that wasn't true. Um, but as you get older, you kind of want to remember things differently, especially your actions and everything like that. So That's I true. love, I love the redemptive or the attempted redemption of the Godfather three. Um, and because it's all about, um, op- well, there's big opera element to it, which I think is definitely the structure, <laughs> um, of the whole movie. And also, um, that story of the opulence of the Catholic church and the power of, um, save being saved. Oh, you think you're being saved. Yeah. And I love the, I love the criticism of the Catholic church at the, like for this movie, it fits the world really well. Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed that part. Um, but my biggest, um, questions I have for you since, so when we collabed on this, uh, Lindsay, you watched the new newly released cause it came out like a week ago, the Coda release, which is Godfather three. It's just a, it's a Coppola is like Lucas. He loves to go back and give special editions to his old movies. Um, so they did a reworks for the third one. Mm. Um, and I watched, just rewatched the original, so and mm. I also did research on which movie scenes they edited. Yes. And I want to know your thoughts on the coda. Get me talk to us on that. I was a little bit surprised. I just looked it up to see if what was going with the coda because I know there was a cinema that was playing it. Um, but I knew I wasn't going to get a chance to go across town. Um, but then it was printable, so I'm like, oh, might as well. Even though I own the third one, and <laughs> and the, the third one is um on another streaming platform. <laughs> um, I think it works better as a movie. It's amazing. Um, I think they only cut about 15 minutes out of it. Um, but yeah, it's amazing it's... how the editing changes the tone completely. Um, the only real, I think there's a few things they've cut out and minimized that don't really have much to do with the plot. So it's much more streamlined plot, uh, which is probably why I understand three a lot more what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, the big changes are at the beginning and the ending. So yeah. when they start with, when Michael's having that meeting with the New Bishop. York Bishop, Mm-hmm. That is, that's how the movie opens. So it's him having that meeting. And then you go into, you don't have the ceremony at the beginning. You just go into the family party. And then the movie ends pretty much after Mary's shot. It's, there's no epilogue. Because I think, because you get a very nice, polite introduction from uh, Coppola himself saying he intended Godfather 3 to be a coda or an epilogue. So mm-hmm. I think he cut out the scene with Michael dying because the movie doesn't need an epilogue because the whole thing is it. So um, the only thing I think it doesn't have that I love from the first one is I don't think it has the scene where um, Connie is trying to poison the guy at the opera with the col- with the can- cannoli with I the cannoli. It and it's one of my favorite bits from the third one. Cause it's, 
Yeah, it's such a weird opera scene because she's looking at him through the binoculars and he even sees her looking. Yeah, Yeah. it still has that, but there's a scene when she's actually going, here's the cannoli, you want to eat it? And he nearly eats it, no. And she's like, no. And this is kind of tension whether he's going to eat it or not. And he finally does and, and dies. I think he just... I think they might. She's he's cut out of quite a bit of that, and I was like, "No, that's when Connie was like trying to be all murderous, and it was amazing." <laughs> yeah, she's trying to kill her godfather, and yes. he's kind of a traitor to the family in this movie. We find out, but he was also, mm-hmm. I think, in the first movie as well. And uh, it's a, it's just a reoccurring thing of these Godfather movies. There's a rival Don who's close to the the family who ends up betraying them one way or another. Yes. It's just it's the same formula. It's it works. Mm. So I get why they include it. But mm. uh, <laughs> I, I yeah I watched a few of the clips from the Coda version. Um, and I also read up on reviews mm. on what they changed. And it sounds like it does streamline things a lot better because that is that's again one of the problems of this movie is the way it's. It doesn't. It makes you assume that everyone has deep dived into the first two movies to like get ready to jump into that third movie. Yes. Whereas with the coda, it does feel more like, hey, like we're gonna get you kind of a new story with these characters we know. With There's the bishop a... starting, that I think that works better because that bishop and the the, the mafia, the main mafia yes. that he's a part of, is a lot more confusing and convoluted than it needs to be. Yes, you're suddenly, um, yeah, because you don't. There's a ceremonies, there's a party, and then 40 minutes in, that's when you have the meeting with the bishop. Whereas when you start with it, you're like, oh, Michael's making a deal with the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church needs money for this, this, or this, so they're getting into bed with um with Michael and his family, and it's kind of like. Oh, so the Catholic Church isn't that different from one the mafia, and um, but it gives a cloud of legitimacy to uh, Michael. So he isn't actually going as straight as it appears he is going in the original cut. He's giving the more the appearance of being of being straight. So when you get that, um, and it introduces um, Vincent a little bit better, like you have a moment with Connie going in. This is Sonny's boy. And that's the reference you need to sort of go, oh, okay, I know Sonny. Even mm-hmm. if you haven't seen The Godfather th- th- for a long time, you know, well, you're going to remember James Kahn. Um, and also it kind of centers – It's actually you get the sense that uh, Vincent and Mary are definitely more in a relationship than this one and that he has to choose between the family and her. That's a much more of a crux to it. Um, yeah, because in the original, it just sprung out where he's like asking Michael to make me the Don, and and then out yeah. of nowhere, Michael goes like, "Okay, but you have to, you got to leave my daughter," just like that. And I'm like, at a weird part of the movie, he's just like, "Yes, but you have to do this," and I'm like, "That's a little anticlimactic," you know? Yeah, this this builds up to it. Like you get the feeling that Michael knows what's happening, and so when Vincent goes, "I can step up," he's like. Well, you're not gonna marry my daughter if you're gonna step up. Sorry, that's mm-hmm. that's just weird. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that's that's not gonna be happening, um, because he knows he wants. There's a part of maybe Vincent that is using Mary more than being in love with her. He's maybe trying to insinuate himself into the family a bit more. Because um, in the coda, I've kind of got the sense that he's very much using um, Bridget Fonda to get in. And then he uses mm-hmm. her when the um, two guys try and come and kill him. Um, yeah. So you get the sense that he's very much using people to get as a stepping stone up to where he thinks he should be, his legacy, which is running the family. And Michael kind of wants to bring him under his wing, but at the same time, he's very wary that um, this is, could be a very, very bad idea. So it's definitely got the the opera kind of thing of the third one makes a lot more sense in the coda 
like when you get to the opera it's just kind of like oh yes this makes more sense because we've been watching an opera till we yeah. get to yeah <laughs> The one thing I did have issue with was the ending. I don't know why. I just, I watched the Coda ending and um, I don't know if I feel that new edited ending where Michael sits mm. there putting on his cool shades as an older Michael and then mm. it fades to black with the quote that a Sicilian never forgets. Yeah. I feel like him sitting in the chair and falling off like his father did in the first movie. I think that yes. works a little bit more. I think it does as well. Yeah. But I know why he did it changed it because, mm. like you said, he said it's an epilogue. We already know Michael's gonna die. There's no point in showing it. But yeah, it's he's he's not he's not gonna get. I think the whole point of the coda is his him trying to get that redemption. And after Mary dies, he's not gonna get it. So yeah. he just puts on his shades. He sits in the chair, and you just wait for the inevitable. Um, that is gonna happen. He's gonna die. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Either way, that original theatrical ending, I cry. <laughs> I, I get. I so like. I cry. I just because and it with because when Mary dies, it, it it's mm. heartbreaking. And, it is. And with seeing Michael fall the way his grandpa died too, or his father, excuse me, I'm like, oof, mm. like that hits hard. I don't know. It, it does. And he's alone. Like Vito wasn't necessarily alone. He had people still to kind of try and fight for him a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Vito more. died in the garden with his grandson being yes. you know, playing with him. And yes. Michael was, dies yeah. alone with dogs mm. around him. Dogs around him. <laughs> Um, yeah. he's, um, kind of in a dusty kind of thing at his old, um, uh, Tate, oh. uh, lake place. Yeah. Um, and he, yeah, he's literally alone. Everyone's left him. Um, yeah. but yeah, Vito had his grand, has had his grandson. He had his family, presumably family in the house. So mm -hmm. it's kind of, um, it, yeah, it's a dark, I think each ending is dark, but I think the whole idea of just showing Michael alone worked a bit more because it was like, oh, no, he brought this on himself. Mm -hmm. He Every decision he made led to the point where he was on his own. Yeah, I, I think I did watch a few clips. The transfers look great because that's oh, another thing he did. Oh, he just... did re-edits to it with the, yeah. with the audio I heard specifically and mm -hmm. the vi visuals. I think it's a 4K scan, I believe. It, yes, it feels very velveting. That's the only way I can describe it. It's kind of like um, Dracula. It was very textured and very velvet. <laughs> yeah, Godfather 3 is now very similar. It's it's very um, tactile. I kind of wish they would do that for all the Godfather movies so I can just buy them again. <laughs> <laughs> and have a little introduction from Francis. I'd love it in front of each one. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that's really cool. Um, he's looking healthy, so he'll probably be making another movie at some point. Um, <laughs> but the coda, like, uh, it's, I love that title. Cause it's not actually called the Godfather part three. It's supposed to be called Godfather, the coda, the death of the Michael, death Corleone, of Michael Corleone, Corleone, which is such a yeah. long name that I love it. <laughs> I can see that the studios in 90 and 1990 went, no, you're not calling it coda. You're calling it Godfather three because that's what everyone could. You got Godfather one, Godfather two, <laughs> Godfather three. It makes, I can put that on a poster. How do I put Godfather Coda, Death of Michael Corleone on a poster? And now. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I think that ending, uh, that the ending title works best. Uh, it's mm. like no spoilers, but Michael dies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, but either way, right. <laughs> either way, I, upon rewatch for this, I have a, I've always defended three, but I've also acknowledged the problems with it. But in this one, I definitely say, um, I mean, to me, th nothing is as perfect maybe as the Godfather trilogy, except maybe like the Lord of the Rings. Um, you could say the original Star Wars mm -hmm. trilogy 
yeah as well without any of those other the other sequels that are all fantastic mm. as well but it's really hard to find i mean if you're asking me i'd also say the rocky three tri- first movies are great but that's not a trilogy but uh <laughs> there's like it's hard to get like perfect trilogies I would say. And I feel like so snobby and saying like, Oh, of course the Godfather's a perfect trilogy. But I mean, there's really almost nothing wrong with any of these movies. Granted, it's like the highest highs are in the first and second. And then you still get a pretty good high. Like I, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty high when I'm watching the third one. <laughs> no, it's, I think, I think that it was, um, yeah, the third one, it's just because the first two were so glorious. It won both won Oscars, both had, we just are considered greatest movies of all time. And then uh, 20 years later or 15 years later, he comes out with the third one. Um, and those X, ex- because of the distance, the expectations, it was never going to meet the expectations. True, true. Um, and I always defended three, um, even though I, I, I've always sort of, I thought it's always been a bit more of a messy creature than the other two. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, I think it's more slightly, it was always been very more tactile. Like it's got more quirks to it. Like you can kind of grab hold of certain kind of things. And I like how sort of Connie gets her due in the third one more than she has in the other two. Yeah. Um, she's kind of stepping up a little bit because she can kind of see her brother not doing what's needed to be done. So she's like, no, I, I, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to make some poisoned can- cannoli and we're going to go. Um, and Weathers, I think the th- Coda is the better made movie out of the two of them um i kind of still like the third one the theatrical cut theatrical cut just because of those quirks um Mm. i think you i think you do but unfortunately i think because of the way it's structured you will get lost in the third one especially if you haven't watched the others because you're like hey what who's who's who why what's going (laughs) on why are they suddenly i mean that assassination thing in the middle of it's incredible oh in both cuts (laughs) because um it comes it feels like it comes out of the blue even in the coda, like you still don't expect, um, is it Zazu or is that, is that Joey Zazu? <laughs> Joey Zazu. Um, thought I got the name on there. Um, to pull off what he did in such a spectacular, huge <laughs> way. I mean, they've got helicopters with machine guns and it's, it, that it organization. Like <laughs> it does. <laughs> it's the, which isn't like what the Godfather feels like, you know? No. The Godfather is not that kind of level of violence or that kind of insanity of, of, of violence. And I think it's that's why it's kind of shocking because um, the violence in The Godfather has always been one shot to the point, very cold, very calculating. And this is like a spectacle. Like you see the, the things shaking, mm-hmm. the cups shaking and everything like that when they're all congratulating themselves. And it's a great – yeah, I really like it. I think there's a lot going on that I think is really interesting. Um, even though I think it's much more of an '80s movie than um, being set in '78 or '79. Um, but yeah, there's there's so much you can kind of talk. You can pull little bits out moments and kind of uh, have whole massive conversations on each little part, just because there's so much going on gone and going on in number three. Yeah, it, to me, it feels more of the like the reward for those who are like. I don't know. It feels weird because I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but it de- it really does feel like the Coppola's like, okay, you you, you two, whoever's seeing this is like the loyal ones who stuck around with me for all these years. Here's the third one. We're gonna give you <laughs> characters from like the first and second movie, callback scenes from the first and second movie. Yes, you know, similar scenes that were just from the first and second movie um like don tomasino is in this movie he was from mm. the first one who defended michael in sicily he shows mm. up again to help out um the the don who is connie's godfather in this movie he feels like the 
the Don who was friends with the family in the second movie, the one mm-hmm. who's like always talking to Tom Hagen about how they were like the Roman Empire. That just feels mm-hmm. exactly the same. Connie, not Connie, um, Diane Keaton K still hates Michael <laughs> in the decisions he made, much like um in the first two movies, basically. Uh, I really like Diane Keaton in the movies, uh, though. She's she's I phenomenal. Love- she is. I love her, especially when he's taken her, I think, back to his dad's old house. Yeah. And then she kind of breaks down why exactly they can never be together. What was wrong with their relationship? And she kind of dispels all the myths that Michael's been building up in the very most beautiful, elegant way. She's like, oh, come on, Michael, seriously. She's um, tough as nails. She's like she's even tough tougher than any of those guys. And I think she's also the, from the acting choices, she's the one that's like put, like stood out the most because. I'll be honest because she's not a Sicilian woman and this movie is full of Sicilian people and she's the only one that's American and Mm. she stands out and for that reason but also like her character stands out like she feels like of a different world that's perfect for them you know exactly I grew I grew up in a Hispanic family and it wasn't Mm. Sicilian but like I mean I have family members that we'd have parties like the opening wedding of the third in the first movie I I remember Mm. going to parties like that having cousins but I always remember a relative having um, a non-Hispanic woman you know, as like their partner. And like, that reminds me so much of like Kay, you know, and I always mm. enjoyed that. I'm like, that's, that's so true. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, that she little kind of, detail. Yeah. She, um, she's very more pragmatic. Like she knows that, uh, Michael's going to have a relationship with her kids. So they go back to New York, they're adults. And I love the, when she, when Michael's trying to build up this fantasy world of, of the past <laughs> oh. and Kay's like, no, no, that never happened. Come on. Yeah. That's, <laughs> Yeah, she's like, no, 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 no. She's like, no, no, no. I, I've gone through bullshit with Woody Allen and, and Annie Hall. I know the bullshit yeah. you're pulling here. <laughs> I have been in much movies with some much bullshit, and I can see the mile away. Yeah. <laughs> I know movie uh, bullshit when I see it. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, the, I, I stay for the actors, ultimately, with these Godfather oh. movies. I love the stories. I love the the attention to detail of like the mob underworld and the classiness of it, even though it's a horrible mm. world. I love that, but I always come to see the actors, and they're just phenomenal. There's not one weak actor in any of these movies, really. No, there isn't. I, I don't think there is. I think everyone is, um, except for that one scene on the balcony, um, I think everything else is played to absolutely perfect and tone tonally is, is, is great. Yeah, I, I, I do wish The Godfather 3 probably got released earlier, though. Yes. <laughs> I have no I think idea it why it took so long. Oh, uh, he was getting distracted with his... Um, with his own production company, it, I think. I don't know. Yeah, true. Um, and, and he's the Tory. I mean, he did the Apocalypse Now re- redux like two different times, I think, <laughs> as well. Oh, like, yes. Okay. No, it was actually surprising. Each time he um, tackled the Apocalypse Now, it got longer. And then he yeah. tackled the Godfather 3, it got shorter. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he hangs out with Lucas way too much, I swear. He does. Those two were always the closest out of the, that click. Um, my yeah. favorite story is um, he was the one who was pushing him to make uh, American graffiti and mm-hmm. no one would know what to do with it. They're like kids in cars. What? Yep. And Lucas basically, uh, Francis Ford basically said, because I, because I've made the Godfather. So therefore you will release this movie in theaters and you will do as I say. He also did the same, him and Lucas did the same for, um, Asawa. Oh, Akira Kurosawa. Akira Kurosawa in the 1980s. He couldn't get anything made. Um, and so Francis and, uh, George Lucas basically went to the studio and said, uh, you're going to give him money to make a movie because oh. he made Star Wars and I made the Godfather. And is that's that, kind of, Oh, yeah. is that how Ron got made? Ron and Kogashima. 
Oh, wow. That's how both of those got made is because um, wow. they had backing from Francis and Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. I know the story that um, Coppola couldn't decide if he wanted De Niro or Pacino to be his Michael. And yes. uh, De Palma said um, that um, Al Pacino is more of an up and comer because of the Panic and Needle Park performance, which is really great. But mm-hmm. um, I think that's that show that Pacino is a more of a Michael because I think De Palma had told Coppola he did some movies with De Niro in like the sixties. He did. And yes. It, and Coppola was like, I kind of like that Pacino guy a little bit more, mm-hmm. but then he was like, but I want them both. And he brought De Niro back for the second one movie. So it all worked out for him basically. No, my favorite story is how the studio, when they sort of bought the rights to the original to Puzo's Godfather wanted to, instead of sitting in New York, it was going to be in Kansas and they wanted Robert Redford for Michael. So they were going <laughs> to And they brought Francis Gobling and he's like going, but they're Italian. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I just love those stories of like certain directors. Bar- like, I mean, Scorsese basically stole De Niro from any- anybody else at that time. Yes. And, you know, <laughs> it, that's another thing. In 1979, the movie takes place. But I'm, I kept thinking throughout the movie, I was like, this movie made in 1991, but it's in 79. And I'm like, what was Pacino doing in 79? He was making up for justice for all. I'm like, he's supposed yes. to be a lawyer, but in here he's supposed to be a mobster instead. Yes. It's just like that silver lining of like, like the out of dateness of the movie. No, it's it's a weird time kind of thing. It's it's work. Yeah, it's meant to be 79, but it feels like it's 85. But yet it's set design kind of feels like it's 91. So it's. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and here's the thing about the Godfather movies, I always feel, and it's true with the third one, I feel like the mm-hmm. first hour to hour and a half, it's always just like family atmospheric stuff that has yes. little dices of what the main plot is. And then for the last hour and a half then is like the main plot of the movie. Exactly. You're hanging out with this family. It's very much a hangout movie. And then all of a sudden the plot kicks in and then it all starts going to, yeah, yeah. that's an absolutely correct with all, with all of them. Yeah, I just noticed <laughs> with the third movie, it was like, huh. Let's see. One definitely did that. Oh, Two yeah. definitely does that, too. Definitely like, oh, does that. Three, you're just going to do it, too? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> With some sprinkled possible incest insinuations. Yes. I don't yes. I don't know. <laughs> I know. I love how we just double down on the incest in the coder. It's like, oh, no, no, no. They're in a relationship. They're definitely yeah. in a relationship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no implied sleeping together, but they're really affectionate towards each other. They're so like, very, yeah. He, he, he might be playing her a little bit, but they're definitely in a... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, one of those things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so we didn't quite get to the three hours I thought we were going to be able to do. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were going to get there as well. I'm like, oh, no, this is going to be... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's. I do really think for those who haven't seen the Godfather movies, I think you really do need to watch them. Mm-hmm. I always say this, at least watch the first one. You don't even have to see the second or the third. You should watch the second for sure. But I think the first one is essential. And I think for those people who have seen the first two but are staying away from the third one um, because of what they've heard about it, um, definitely watch it, even if you watch The Coda, because I think The Coda is much more streamlined and easier to di- to digest than the um, than the theatrical. Um, it's, definitely worth, um, it's definitely worth a watch and kind of fits in nicely with the other two. So just because you've heard things about Sofia Coppola. She's not in the movie that often, and she is a very important plot point, but she's um, more of a cipher or a symbol than anything mm-hmm. else. Um, and, yeah, I definitely think, because I did have a friend who hasn't seen the third, and she won't, and she did ask me about the coda. I said, no, the coda's good. Just watch, please watch three, because you keep watching the first two, but you won't <laughs> go near three. <laughs> 
I was like, I remember just being in anticipation to watch the third one. And uh, mm. I don't know, maybe it's just when I was like in high school, I was just like gushing too much maybe over the Godfather <laughs> movies. I'm not sure. I still love them. Like I watched the third one without watching the first two. And I'm like, mm. this is weird. I didn't think I'd be able to just put on three without wanting to watch the first two right now. You know? <laughs> well, I, well, yeah. Well, I just wandered into the third one when I was like 13, not knowing. I didn't know, I think I knew what was happening in the in the movie, but something transfixed me enough that I definitely stayed Probably all four hours, nearly four hours of it. Yeah. <laughs> it was with ads. Yeah, it's like, wow, that's a uh, quick just under three hours right there for me. Yeah. It was weird. That's the thing. I Even though the first two are definitely longer than the third one, but the third one is still an hour and like two hours and 50 minutes. It felt pretty quick. I'm not going to lie. Um, so, no, yeah, it, I definitely it, recommend for the first yes. third installment on this show, you should definitely check out Godfather 3. I would definitely go with that. Check out Godfather 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Lindsay... What's going to be happening with your new podcast show? What, give us some stuff to be excited for. Um, I've got a very ABBA-centric um, and T-Rex-centric show coming out next week. So um, probably around the same week this maybe drops. Um, but definitely keep an eye out for that. I've also got um, a few Christmas bonus episodes coming Ooh. out that uh, Christmas um, double features. Um, and some really great guests. Um, Daniel and Matt uh, said they'd come on. Um, and... Chris will most likely be on at some point when I can get him to do another double feature uh, next year. Um, Cause we, and no, it's um, I'm still working on, I've finally started a letterbox, new letterbox for yes. Fluff and all. So I don't know what I'll be doing yet, but there'll be lists and kind of things like that. So no, there's um there are things happening that I'm yeah. Half all my dears, but no, it's going to be good. Yes. And I really appreciate what you and like Daniel, what Matt are doing right now, especially <laughs> during December. I'm so like, with going back to work and like with Christmas stuff going on, I'm just like, okay, I need to watch a movie so I can have an episode to talk about, but I'm so glad <laughs> you guys are and girls are just all putting out stuff. So it's like, okay, well, if like I don't put something out for a week, I won't be noticed because everyone else is doing really good things. So I'm really happy about that. <laughs> uh, but those listening, I really recommend checking out Lindsay on, um, she's on Spotify, iTunes. She's also, her letterbox is phenomenal. She like keeps like upkeep to it, to a T mm -hmm. like I like you'll post them on Twitter and I'm yeah. like, Oh, good. Now I don't even have to look for it. I can just click on the link right there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's getting organized and everything. I just I, I just love it. Yep. It's what I, my letterbox I aspire to look like at some point. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's it's tough like to log everything and for me it yeah. is at least but like when I I love reading your reviews and they're mm. they're really good. So um that'll always be in the links down below for those who are listening. Um but Lindsay, thank you so much for being on uh Inside the Sequel. It was really oh. great. No, thank you for having me on. This has been really great. And it was just an excuse to watch Godfather 3. Oh, finally watched yes, the Coda. No, so, seriously, I've had, yeah. I feel like Michael, I've had so much pent-up energy to talk about the Godfather movies, <laughs> um, especially the third one, because it's like I never get to that point with people. So um, No, it's usually one, two, and then no one talks about the third. So I think definitely giving the third some love was, was important. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> uh, but um, the, thank you so much, Lindsay, for, for coming on. And uh, you're always welcome here, of course. Um, oh, just keep feeding yep. me. I mean, you gave me a list of sequel movies that I could easily be excited for as well. So yeah. um, I really appreciate that. Mm. Um, and for those listening, I really appreciate you all uh, checking us out. I, I love the support we're seeing and the comments down below um, and uh, the sharing. I think it's growing. So I really appreciate mm. that. Um, so uh, I want to thank you all for listening um, to Lindsay and I talk about The Godfather 3. And you should definitely check out the Coda version. Uh, I know I'll probably be buying myself that Christmas present. <laughs> so... Uh, but thank you all for listening. And remember, if you're not um, having Christmas with your godfather, do you really care about movies? Anyway, <laughs> we'll see you next time. <laughs>